Hello, and welcome to People Keep Dying, a podcast about people who die. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, because I was unable to coordinate having a guest, I'm having my husband sit in so that I don't feel like I'm talking to myself, but he will not be speaking at all because he doesn't want to. I'm going to call this series MFSK for motherfucking serial killers, because if I'm going to talk about a killer by myself, I might as well make it a long one. So I'm going to go right in there. William George Bonin was born January 8th. 1947 in Wilmantic, Connecticut. His home life wasn't great with both parents being alcoholics and his father being physically abusive to his family. When he was with his parents, William and his two brothers were generally neglected, getting by on the kindness of his neighbors who made sure that the boys were fed and were clothed. When the kids weren't with their parents, they were placed in the care of their grandfather, a convicted child molester who had molested their mother during her childhood and continued this act of abuse on the boys. In an effort to protect her children, William's mom placed the boys in an orphanage in 1953 when William was six. The orphanage would not provide a safe haven for the boys as it was known to severely discipline the children housed there, punishments that included severe beatings partial drownings in the sinks filled with water, and enduring various stress positions. For listeners who don't know what a stress position is, it's when a person is told to place the human body in such a way that a great amount of weight is placed on just one or two muscles. For example, this is forcing someone to stand on the balls of their feet and then squat so that their thighs are parallel to the ground. This creates an intense amount of pressure on the legs leading to pain, and then muscle failure. It is known as an enhanced interrogation technique used on prisoners to extract information, and this was used on the children there at the orphanage. When William recounted his childhood, he speaks freely freely of physical abuse from his father and sexual abuse from his grandfather. Strangely enough, he didn't talk about his time in the orphanage much besides the fact that he had consented to sexual advances from older males, but not really sure that's really consenting as he was around the age of seven to eight years old, but he only consented consented to the sexual acts if he had his hands tied behind his back, which was like a weird thing besides having sex when you're seven years old. Um, He would remain there until he was nine years old when he was returned to let live with his parents in Mansfield, Connecticut. When he was 10, William was arrested for stealing license plates off of cars and was placed in juvenile detention for various other minor crimes. During his time in juvie, he was repeatedly physically and sexually abused by several people, including his adult counselor. In 1961, as their house was being foreclosed on, the family relocated to Downey, California. Shortly after the move, his father died from cirrhosis of the liver. And while living in his new home, William would continue the abuse he encountered all of his life to young children around him. He was known to molest his younger brothers as well as lure neighborhood children to his house to also molest them. All of his victims were younger than he was. 
His criminal acts wouldn't stop there, though, as he would continue his pattern of misbehavior with several acts of robbery, petty theft, and grand theft throughout his teen years. William also discovered at this point that he was gay, which seemed to be the only thing that his mother had a problem with. After graduating high school in 1965, he became engaged largely due to his mom pushing him to do so in the hopes of making him not gay, which isn't really how it works. That same year, he joined the U.S. Air Force and served five months of active duty in the Vietnam War as an aerial gunner. During his time there, he risked his own life to save a fellow airman, for which he received a medal of recognition of his gallantry. This doesn't mean he wasn't a piece of shit, though, as he claimed that he sexually assaulted two fellow soldiers at gunpoint during the Tet Offensive, a campaign of surprise attacks by the Viet Cong against the South Vietnamese Army in the U.S., it's a big deal, like battle, and the explanation is really brief because it's not the subject today. It was during his time in Vietnam that he started to believe that the human life is overvalued. After three years of service, William received an honorary discharge and moved back to Danny to his mother's home. He got married to his fiancée, which resulted in divorce shortly after because he was gay and he didn't really want to be married to a woman. On November 17, 1968, William sexually assaulted a youth, which I think meant a, a boy. This would lead to three more sexual assaults on other boys over the following four months. The age of the victims ranged from 12 to 18 years old, younger than the 21-year-old William. They were subjected to forcibly engaging in sodomy, oral, oral copulation, as well as torture, including bludgeoning and squeezing of the victim's testicles. In early 1969, William was arrested when he was caught trying to retrain, like retain a 16-year-old boy that he had learned, lured into his car. And he was indicted of five counts of kidnapping, four counts of sodomy, one count of oral copulation, and one count of child molestation against the five boys that he had abducted and assaulted. Pleading guilty, he was sent to a Tuscadero State Hospital as a mentally disordered sexual offender on January 1971. After many psychiatric examinations, it was revealed that William possessed a higher than average IQ of 121 and displayed traits of bipolar disorder in addition to damage to the prefrontal cortex of his brain. It was this damage that likely reduced his ability to, to restrain from any violent impulses. After two years, William was sent to prison at the Atascadero State Hospital because they just declared that he was unsuitable for further treatment, largely due to the fact that he was raping other male inmates. A year later, on June 11th, 1974, he was released from prison after doctors concluded that he was no longer a danger to the health and safety of others, which I'm not really sure of because he did rape a lot of his inmates, but I guess they didn't really want to deal with him anymore. Shortly after his release on September 8th, 1974, he picked up a 14-year-old hitchhiker, David McViker, in Garden Grove, who was headed to his parents' home in Huntington Beach. 
after David got into the vehicle, William immediately asked if he was gay. David, already feeling very uneasy and uncomfortable about the whole thing, asked William to stop the car. At that point, William pulled out a gun and drove David to a deserted field. When they got there, David was ordered to undress and was beaten and raped. After this, William began, began to strangle David with his own shirt and then immediately apologized after David started to cry and scream. William then drove David home and casually said, we'll meet again, like the fucking creep he is. David immediately told his mom, who notified the Garden Grove police. William was charged with rape and forcible, forcible oral copulation of a minor, as well as an attempted abduction of a 15-year-old that happened just two days after he had assaulted David. For the attempted abduction incident, William propositions the 15-year-old boy with an offer of a $35 like sexual exchange. And after being rejected, William tried to hit the boy with his car. He pled guilty for all charges and was sentenced to 1 to 15 years imprisonment on December 31st, 1975. He only served a little less than three years of a sentence, being released on October 11th, 1978. He also said 18 months supervised, like he also had 18 months supervised probation right after he was released, but it was basically a joke. William then moved about one mile away from his mother's home into Kingswood Village. He started working as a truck driver for a Montebello delivery firm named Dependable Driveaway. He was known around his neighborhood as a good hang, allowing teenage boys to socialize in his apartment and bought alcohol for them. He also informed acquaintances that he was dating a young woman and roller skated with her on Sundays because that was her hobby. But I'm not sure if anyone actually seen the woman as I couldn't find her name or any information about her. He also attended the parties of a neighbor where he became acquainted with a 21-year-old man named Vernon Butts and 18-year-old Gregory Miley. Vernon was a factory worker and part-time magician who was fascinated with the occult. And Gregory was an illiterate Texas native with an IQ of 56. Both of these boys would assist and partake in the murder spree that would shortly follow along with James Monroe and William Pugh, who would show up later in the story. William drove and committed a lot of his murder in his Ford Econoline van, which is like just basically a big-ass rape, rape van. Like you, just, you look at it, and it looks like a creepy-ass van. He removed all the inner handles from the passenger side door as as well as the rear doors to minimize his victims from escaping. He also had a van, like in his van, an arsenal of tools that he would use to torture and restrain his victims. His first known murder was that of a 13-year-old named Thomas Glenn Lundgren. Thomas was seen leaving his parents' home in Reseda, at 10.50 a.m. on the morning of May 28, 1979. Thomas had told someone that he was offered a job um, while he was past, like, selling flowers right off the highway. Or if you go into L.A., there's usually some people who are selling flowers on the side of the street, especially during, like, Mother's Day and stuff, because it is good money, especially during that time. 
And he said a motorist stopped and said that he wanted to take his pictures. So on the 28th, he left to get his pictures taken with a skateboard and he never returned. He would be found dead and clad only in a t-shirt, shoes and socks in Agora the same day. During this abduction and murder, Vernon was was the one who assisted. So for this specific murder, the very first murder he did, William had Vernon help him with the very first time. Autopsy revealed that Thomas suffered emasculation, which is the removal of both testicles and the penis, and bludgeoning to the face and head. He had also been slashed across the throat, extensively stabbed, and strangled to death. His underwear, jeans, and severed genitals were found nearby, strewn around the field. From the research I've done about Thomas, it doesn't seem like William was charged with this murder. murder. And around this time, there were two other serial killers who went by the same moniker as Freeway Killer, which is kind of weird because the media is the one who names them. So I think that there was a lot of murders off of freeways and they just assumed that there was only one monster doing it but there were three and the other two were Patrick Kearney and Randy Kraft they're all happening in Southern California during around the same time Patrick Kearney was apprehended before this incident but Randy Kraft did overlap William and Randy also had a pension of severing body parts but Randy liked um drugging his victims before he killed them so i think that's the reason why that they thought they were pretty sure that thomas was killed by william shortly after the murder william was arrested for molesting a 17 year old boy in dana point due to the violation of parole he was returned to prison but due to an administrative error he was released his neighbor everett frazier picked william up from the orange county jail As he was driven home, William said, no one's going to testify again. This is never going to happen to me again. Everett Everett thought that this was a sign of remorse, but William meant that he would never leave a victim alive to testify again. On August 4th, 1979, William and Vernon abducted 17-year-old Mark Shelton. Mark was on his way to a movie theater near Beach Boulevard in Westminster from his home. Neighbors later mentioned that they heard a scream indicating that he was probably taken by force. Mark was violated by many foreign objects, including a pool cue, which caused his body to enter a state of shock, and that led to his death. So he wasn't strangled to death, but the pool cue did him in, and that's the worst possible way. Well, maybe not. Um, because the rest of this gets really bad. His body was found in San Bernardino County. Mark was also not a murder William was charged with, but a likely victim from the research I did. And the fact that Mark's mother went to William's trial to ensure her son's murder would be convicted. The next day, 17-year-old Marcus Grabs was picked up by William and Vernon while he was hitchhiking from Pacific Coast Highway or PCH. Marcus was bound and driven to William's home where he was sodomized, beaten, and stabbed 77 times. Marcus's new body was found and discarded 
in Malibu Creek the following morning. One investigator likened the stabbings to that of a rabid dog, unable to determine when to cease biting. Marcus would be the first official victim, according to articles and websites that I was able to find. And it would be the first official murder that William would be charged for. On August 27th, William and Vernon abducted 15-year-old Donald Ray Hyden of Hollywood. Donald was last seen alive walking along Santa Monica Boulevard at 1 a.m. He was strangled to death and had been bound, beaten, sodomized, and stabbed in the neck and genitals and bludgeoned around the skull. There were, was evidence of attempted attempts to remove a testicle. And that's just, I mean, not. I hope he was dead at that point. His body was found later that same morning by construction workers in a dumpster near the off-ramp of Ventura Freeway, which is the 101 and 134, depending on like which way you're going. On September 9th, two weeks later, William and Vernon lured 17-year-old David Luis Murillo of La Mirada into the van. David had been biking to a movie theater. He was found repeatedly raped, bludgeoned about the skull with a tire iron, and strangled with a ligature, which was probably his own t-shirt, as that was the signature for William. His nude body was thrown over an embarkment into a bed of ivy along the 101. On September 17th, 18-year-old Robert Christopher Wurstek of Newport Beach was abducted as he was biking to his job at a grocery store. His body was found 10 days later along the 10 freeway. William would be charged with his murder, murder but the charges was, were dismissed since William pled not guilty for Robert's murder and there wasn't an, enough evidence. And I think this was the only murder that he would refuse to admit to. There was no known killings in the month of October. But on November 1st, William and Vernon abducted an unidentified, an unidentified John Doe, who was 5'10 and between the ages of 19 and 25. The victim was beaten and strangled to death his body discarded along the 99 close to the city of Taft. He was never identified, but William estimated the man to be 23 years old and admitted to inserting an ice pick into his nostrils and ear before murdering him. Four weeks later, William, acting alone, abducted 17-year-old Frank Dennis Fox of Bellflower. Frank was subjected to extensive blood for blunt force trauma to the face and head with indications that he had been bound. His nude body was found along the Ortega Highway, which is the 74 Highway, five miles east of San Juan Capistrano two days later. Ten days later, 15-year-old John Frederick Kilpatrick of Long Beach was abducted after he left his home to go meet with friends. John's nude body was found strangled to death in a remote area of Rialto on November 13th or December 13th. He remained a John Doe until August 5th, 1980. And that was because his mom said that it wasn't unusual for him to disappear for two or three days at a time. And friends of John or friends of John kept telling his mom like, oh, I'd seen him 
at Lakewood Center Mall or I'd seen him around in Long Beach. And it was because of these wrong sightings that John wasn't reported missing until February and would be identified by his mom, Priscilla, due to the tattoo of a skull in a hat on the right bicep and the letter F tattoo on his left hand. William would not be charged with John's murder either, as his name did not show up on his case. On January 1st, 1980, William brutalized and strangled 16-year-old Michael Grancis McDonald of Ontario. His body would be found fully clothed along the 71 two days after his murder, but his body wouldn't be identified until March 24th. On February 3rd, William and Gregory, one of his other accomplices, um, Gregory Miley, picked up 15-year-old hitchhiker Charles Miranda along the Santa Monica Boulevard. According to Gregory, William and Charles had consensual sex in the back of the van as Gregory drove them around. William then whispered to Gregory, kid's gonna die, before overpowering Charles. William demanded to know how much Charles had and took his wallet after being told by Charles that he had $6. William raped Charles, and when Gregory tried to rape him afterwards, he was unable to sustain an erection, which angered him. And that led to Gregory assaulting Charles with various sharp objects and helped William to continue the beatings. William then strangled Charles to death with a t-shirt, or his own t-shirt, and tire iron, while Gregory repeatedly jumped on the boy's chest. Charles's nude body was found in an alleyway along East 2nd Street in Los Angeles. Just five minutes after the brutal act, William turned to Gregory and said, I'm horny again. Let's go and do another one. It only took them a few hours before they came across 12-year-old James McCabe in Huntington Beach at a bus stop on the corner of Beach Boulevard and Slater Avenue. The pair convinced James to get in their van and promised James that they would drive him to Disneyland. Gregory would later recount hearing James cry as William beat and raped James. And William also would later say that James was so easy to kill because of how small and young he was. After after stopping the car, Gregory joined in on the torture and crushed the boy's neck with a tire iron simply because he felt like doing it. William strangled James to death and James's fully clothed body will be found alongside a dumpster in Walnut three days later. On February 4th, the very next day, William was arrested for violating the conditions of his parole, but not the murders because he wasn't a suspect at this point. He was released from custody on March 4th from the Orange County Jail. On March 14th, 18-year-old Ronald Gatlin of Van Nuys was abducted after leaving a friend's house. Ronald was beaten, sodomized, and had several deep perforated ice pick wounds to his ear and neck before being strangled to death with a ligature, which is his t-shirt. His body was found the following day in Duarte, his hands and feet bound. On March 21st, 14-year-old Glenn Barker was abducted when he was hitchhiking his way to school. Glenn was raped, beaten, and strangled to death with his own t-shirt, and his body also showed signs of being violated with foreign objects, as well as cigarette burn marks around his neck. His nude body was found 
March 23rd, two days later. Later that same day, at 4 p.m. on March 21st, 15-year-old Russell Ra was abducted from a bus stop in Garden Grove. He was bound, beaten, and kept in a captivity for about eight hours before being strangled to death. His nude body was found alongside that of Barker in Cleveland National Park, which don't let the name fool you, it's a park in Southern California, on March 23rd. On Friday, sometime in March, like on a Friday, sometime in March of 1980, William offered William Ray Pugh a ride home from the house of their mutual friend, Everett. And Everett was the one who picked him up the very first time when he went to prison. Um, William asked Pugh if he wanted to have sex. And after sitting in the car for a few minutes, Pugh panicked and tried to leave the van. William made Pugh stay and told him about how he enjoyed abducting young male hitchhikers on Friday and Saturday nights, whom he then restrained and abused before strangling them to death with their own t-shirt. If you want to kill somebody, you should make a plan and find a place to dump the body before you even pick a victim. William then informed Pugh that he would not assault and kill him as people had seen them leave together, dropping off Pugh at his home unharmed. But instead of running to the police and saying being useful in any way, Pew would go to help William kill more boys or one boy. On March 24th, 15-year-old runaway Harry Todd Turner was picked up by William and Pew by an, from an L.A. street. Pew said that Harry got into the van willingly after being offered $20 for sex. William bound, sodomized, and bit the se- bit, ha- bit Harry several times. He then ordered Pew to beat him up, which led to Pew bludgeoning and beating Harry around the head and body for several minutes. William strangled Harry with his own t-shirt before ditching his body at a rear delivery door to a U.L.A. business. Autopsy showed that Harry's genitals were mutilated and received eight fractures to the skull inflicted by a blunt instrument before being strangled. On April 10th, 16-year-old Stephen John Wood of Bellflower was abducted on his way to school. His nude, badly beaten body was found in the alleyway in Long Beach, close to PCH, and he had died from ligature strangulation. On April 29th, 19-year-old Darren Kendrick of Stanton was lured into the van with the pretext of being sold drugs. Darren was to drive to Vernon's apartment, was driven to Vernon's apartment, where he was overpowered by both William and Vernon. And after enduring partial strangulation and sodomy, William forced Darren to drink hydrochloric acid, which caused chemical burns to his mouth, chin, and stomach and chest. And he was the only victim that was forced to ingest something that harmful although everything i guess they all died so it doesn't it's all awful vernon drove an ice pick through darren's ear causing a fatal wound to the cervical spine cord and his body was found behind a warehouse near the artesia freight freeway which is a 91 with the ice pick still protruding from his ear on may 17th 17 year old lawrence sharp was abducted and killed Unlike the previous murders, William was acquainted 
with Lawrence and had already like he had spoken to him, but just woke that morning and decided that he wanted to kill Lawrence because he was tired of having him around. On top of being banned and sodomized, Lawrence was also beaten around the face and body. His body was found the following day behind a Westminster gas station. On May 19th, 14-year-old Sean King of Southgate was abducted from a bus stop in Downey. William asked Vernon to accompany him that day, but Vernon later said that he refused to take part of it. Sean's body was found in Live Oak Canyon, Yukaipa. William visited Vernon at his home and bragged about the killing right afterwards. Nine days after killing Sean, William invited 18-year-old drifter James Michael Monroe to move into his apartment, which he shared with his mom. And I think it's because he saw something in James that he knew that he could make James into an accomplice. James entered a consensual sexual relationship with William and even worked with him at the Montebello delivery firm. James said that William initially gave the impression of a good guy and really normal. But on June 1st, that impression would be confirmed to be very wrong when William informed James that he wanted the two of them to abduct, rape, and kill a teenage hitchhiker, which is the opposite of normal conversation. By this point, the freeway killer murderers were getting a lot of media attention, and a reward totaling $50,000 was offered by a leading gay rights activist for information leading to a conviction. William loved the attention, it seems, because he collected clippings of the manhunt from newspapers. The police started to work with other jurisdictions and formed a task force dedicated to the apprehension of the freeway killer. On May 1980, Pew was arrested for auto theft and held at Los Padrinos Juvenile Courthouse. After hearing some of the details over the radio, he confided to a counselor that the MO sounded like what William had described to him two two months previous, but he didn't mention the fact that he had participated in a murder, specifically Harry Todd Turner's murder. The counselor reported the information to LAPD homicide surgeon John St. James, who was the homicide detective. Like he was, I think he was number one, like he was the guy you wanted to figure out how you died. John St. John interviewed Pugh, which led him down the right path to start suspecting William. The surviving victim of William, David McViker, from the very, like 30 minutes ago, um, the 14-year-old from 1974, who was the reason for William's second stint in jail, had also contacted authorities about William possibly being the freeway killer, as the MO did sound familiar to him. On June 2nd, the same day, police started surveillance, surveillancing William. William and James picked up 18-year-old Stephen J. Wells from a bus stop in El Segundo Boulevard. And so it just sounds like they were able to do it without the police noticing, even though they had started surveillance that day. But who knows how, how that really overlapped that day. When Stephen mentioned that he was bisexual, the pair promised to pay him $200 if they allowed, um, if he had allowed them to bind him prior to engaging in sex. So at William's apartment, Stephen was bound, raped, beaten, 
and told he would be murdered before being strangled to death with his own t-shirt. Stephen's body was placed inside a cardboard box and driven to Vernon's house. Vernon was invited to view Stephen's body and viewing it, Vernon said, oh, you got another one, before William asked Vernon for advice on where to dispose of it, which was kind of weird because it seemed like he kind of knew where he should be disposing them because he kept ditching them at gas stations and off highways. And Vernon said, try a gas station like where we dumped the last one. Stephen's body was found behind a disused Huntington Beach gas station where it was found five hours later. On June 11th, police followed William as he was seen randomly driving around Hollywood trying to lure five different teenage boys. After William lured 17-year-old Harold Tate of Orange County, police followed the van to a desolated parking lot close to Hollywood, the Hollywood Freeway, which is the 101 or 170, depending on which way you're going. They discreetly approached the van and heard muffled screams and banging sounds. The plainclothes officers forced their way into the van and discovered William in the act of raping Harold, who was handcuffed and bound. William was initially charged with the rape and detained a $250,000 bond, which he wasn't able to pay, so he stayed in jail. Upon hearing the news, James stole William's other car and fled back to his native Michigan because he was really scared that he was going to be caught soon, too. Inside the van, investigators discovered various restraining devices, an assortment of knives and a tire iron, household implements, as well as a lot of blood. They also discovered the inner handles missing and a scrapbook of newspaper clippings related to the murders. After initially claiming that he was innocent, William eventually confessed to abducting, raping, and killing 21 boys and young men. He expressed no remorse for his actions, but did demonstrate extreme embarrassment and regret over having been caught. He also told them that his primary accomplice was Vernon Butts, while Gregory and James were active accomplices in other murders. But he didn't mention Pew. Pew would later be discovered to have been an accomplice in Harry's murder. William was found guilty and executed by lethal injection inside a gas chamber in San Quentin State's prison on February 23, 1996. He expressed no remorse for his crimes and left the note. I feel the death penalty is not an answer to the problems at hand. I feel it sends the wrong message to people of this country. Young people act as they see other people acting instead of people telling them to act. I would advise that when a person had a quiet place, um, I would advise that when a person had a thought of doing anything serious against the law, that before they do it, they should go to a quiet place and think about it seriously. It's if you want to take advice from a serial killer, I guess. He was 49 when he was executed and none of his relatives showed up. Several relatives of victims did witness the event. Two months after the charges were filed, Vernon Butts committed suicide, rendering his recorded testimony admissible as evidence, forcing prosecutors to drop a few of the victims. Between the three active serial killers around that time in SoCal, all known as the freeway killers, they it's said to that they, that they had 
um, collectively claimed 131 victims in total. And I think they were all young men or boys. William's cremated body was not claimed by anyone. James Monroe was sentenced to a term of 15 years to life for second-degree murder of Stephen. He was denied parole several times and is up for parole again this year. Gregory Miley was sentenced to 25 years to life for first-degree murder of Charles Miranda. On May 25, 2016, Gregory died of injuries he sustained from an attack from another inmate in an exercise yard at Mule Creek State Prison. Pugh was sentenced to six years in prison for voluntary manslaughter in the case of Harry Todd Turner, and he served less than four years and released from prison in late 1985, and there's no other information about him that I could find. And that was the freeway killer, William Bonin. So was very depressing and i'm sorry that it was a real big bummer but it turns out serial killers aren't great and they kill a lot of people and they ruin everyone's life so um thank you for listening and i'm sorry i didn't have a guest this week i will try to be more organized but there's no promises of that um if you like what i do you can rate us or rate me um follow me on all my social medias and email me at peoplekeepdying at gmail.com. And I guess if you aren't dead next week, that'll be cool. So bye.